Next station is Metropolis. 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 <laughs> Welcome to Metropolis, a podcast series presented by the student from the Urban Master at the Versailles School of Architecture. In each station, a guest will tell us about his vision of the city, its conception, its density, its future, and more. Hello, Mrs. Carla Shasaba. Thank you for being here today and welcome to the Metropolis podcast. I'm really glad to have you here. Today, Mrs. Rosaba is joining us from London. Could you give us a short introduction of who you are, where you're from, where did you study, and what your current occupation is? Yes, thank you, Luisa. I'm also glad to be here. I am a Brazilian architect. Uh, I started my career as soon as I graduated in 2000, working with exhibition design and building uh, houses, which is a very common activity for young architects in Latin America. Then I did the Humanidade Pavilion with the theater director Bielessa. And my last uh, significant work was at Venice Biennale, building a chapel for the Vatican Pavilion. In Rio, I studied in Santa Ursula University, a very experimental school. Uh, where many teachers were visual artists. It was for me very important to be in a place uh, where it was possible to experiment. Now I'm living in London, teaching in Mendrisio, in Switzerland, doing my PhD at, at San Madrid and still working in Brazil and Portugal. Today, as aspiring architects and urban planners, it is our duty to ask ourselves, what kind of city do we want to live in? What makes a good city? How can we strive to have a holistic approach to urban planning, especially and more relevantly in today's climate? So that is why today we hope to get some key answers through looking at the questions of density, ecology, and city planning through site and cultural approach. To begin, we wanted to ask you a few quick icebreaker questions to introduce yourself, question that we are asking to all of our guests. First, if you had to choose a city that inspires you, which would it be? Well, now that, yeah, that I am in London, it is London because, because London is the, is the first nation that has the first city that is a park, considered a park city. Almost half of the city is green. I think it's fascinating because I come from Rio that is, has the, the, the biggest uh, forest inside the city. But the relation with the force is very distant. It's, a, it's an image, no? And here is, there's an interaction. It's, it's more interesting. Now, a book you want to share with the audience? A uh, book I'd like to share is uh, The Open Door uh, uh, by Peter Brook, the theater director, Peter Brook, that worked all his life. He's English, but he worked all his life in, in France, or, or Théâtre Bouffe du Nord. The Open Door is about his work as, as a theater director, but I think it was very inspiring as an architect to read it because it's about, uh, uh, it's about a language that is, his, his uh, of course, theater, it's another thing, but it was interesting to see our discipline through another discipline. And he transformed the theater. It's very interesting and as architects to study him because he never accept the theater as it is. He transformed and make uh, I mean, this is from, in fact, the architecture of the theaters, but also it's, uh, it's learning about uh, uh, 
this interaction with the public and, and also what scenography for him, scenography doesn't exist. So there's a lot of, oh, it's, it's, it's just a consequence of, uh, of a good space. Is there an architect you admire in particular? Yes, Lina Bobad. You know, I feel that she's she's uh, she came to Brazil after her twenties, and she came from. Uh, she's really Italian, also, no? Because I think she. It's very important to understand this because she she came from a context in Italy uh, after after the war, and she uh, a context of the arte povera italiana. And so I think it makes a lot of sense to go to Brazil to Brazil, and find a way to express this this language there. And I think it's fascinating to, to not forget where she comes from, you know? She's not Brazilian at the end. She, she just found a way to express herself in Brazil. Is there a particular building you keep coming back to? Yes, I always come back to the Nordic Pavilion of Sverfeyer in Venice. There is this coexistence with this nature inside and this opens to the outside, but you don't, it's totally open, but you, you it's a filter to the, to the nature, this beauty, you know, it's really a filter. And I think it's, it's all about that, uh, what you have to think uh, today in architecture is to coexist with nature. And, it, and besides that, it's, a, it's a incredibly, beautiful design and, and a very original composition. And there's a moment that's not only inside of the trees inside, because we have many examples of trees inside buildings, but I think it's, it's more than that. It's, it's a filter to, to, to nature, to light. And in, in, in this corner that he opens to a one tree, that's what we have to do you know, in our work. We have to, to change an entire project because of one tree. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's really always fascinating. You seem to have a very delicate and poetic approach to your architecture, which manifests in the way you draw and communicate your ideas. Could you present it to the audience and talk a little further about it? I think it's always uh, about context now, and how do you uh, affect a context? I mean, to, uh, there's a sentence of Caesar that say, to build is to destroy. In fact, we are destroying now. But I think I would rethink about the sentence and. And, and say that to build is to coexist. And how do you affect the environment? Because we are transforming and we are affecting. There's in our, in our studio in Mendrizio, there's a sentence on the wall of, of Ailton Kerenak. It's an indigenous leader and a writer in Brazil. And the, the sentence is step gently on the ground. And it's in a way a sentence to, I mean, you can keep interpreting this sentence with, in many ways, and I think students are trying to do this. And it's, it's fascinating for me because it's about how you transform. I mean, the first thing you transform when you build is, is the ground. So pay attention what you're doing with the ground since the foundations. So it's a sentence that you can really... And also, I, was, uh, I think it's important to say another approach and aspect of the work is to be uh, economic, uh, but with economy of meanings and with just two things, to economy of meanings and being economic. But it's not because I'm Latin America in Brazil in a, poor, in a poor country. It's not, it is also, of course. But I think if you, if you uh, I think, I mean, this, this exercise of being economic is to take anywhere you go, you know, because it, it means it's too easy to build with, with <laughs> an amount of budget. This is too easy. So we learn in a way in Latin in America, I would say to, to learn with, to, to work with lowest 
you budget. But I think it's an exercise to think, well, how we, would you act if you had a, an enormous budget for this or that? I would, I would act the same way because it's about how you, you uh, I mean, it doesn't make sense to spend it is also an image, no? So, yeah. How would you apply this approach to urban planning? Do you think it's possible to get such a result as to the scale? Yes, I think it's possible. It's just a problem of scale. And, and I, I think it's uh, absolutely possible. Uh, but and I, when I think about another scale, it's, uh, it's another problem too. No? So uh, it makes me dream of a type of city that, uh, I mean, it's part of uh, some thoughts to, for example, a botanical city. I was, uh, now that I live in London with all this green around, and I, I think that our challenge as architects in urban is, is, to, is, to, uh, is to draw this, this manufacturing landscape. It is a manufacturing landscape. This is not a problem. The problem is how to design it. And I think it is about coexisting this, what is infrastructure, man, nature, and, and draw all this together, being conscious that uh, it, is, uh, it is artificial. No? And I think there's no problem of scale. Uh, it's always the same problem no? if you do a small thing or, or a bigger project. Seeing how a lot of your designs are about houses and small scale projects, I was wondering, as it is globally accepted that living in apartments and dense environments is more ecological overall than living in a pavilion a distance away from the city, how would you see the future of housing? Should we transform the cities to be denser and higher, or should we keep space for independent houses that provide better quality of living? Would the best solution be maybe somewhere in the middle? Yes, I think, I think first, there's no uh, unique answer for that. Uh, definitely not higher, <laughs> that is for sure. But there's no unique answer for that. That's, that is the point now. No? I think answers are local and uh, without, a, without a formula. So uh, the answer you have in Rio will be different, in Paris will be different, in London. That's what we, we can call uh, the, the, I mean, I mean this, is, this is for sure, um, what we can understand uh, by sustainability is understanding a local geography and economy and situation to act. And, and this situation will not be an example for the other one. For example, here in London, there's a plan to densify empty areas in the city, and which makes a lot of sense uh, uh, in this case. You know? And uh, uh, at the same time, there's an Italian movement to occupy the old cities to the youngest to, to go to the old cities and work online after all this pandemic movement. So, I mean, it is, it is quite a, a fantastic movement if you have trains, if you have everything. And I know people that are doing this exactly now, you know, that, that after this, this pandemic uh, situation. And in Berlin, for also, for example, uh, the, they learned since after the war and you know, very fantastic and it's an example how they left, how they kept the leftover space for for this for, for gardens, but not but for accidental gardens, not you know like to uh, drawings that are to design it. But this is, I mean, each each, each place will find an answer. Now that's that is that is the problem because the answer is not easy. So last time we talked, you gave me a small presentation about the imaginary boundaries project. 
Could you talk a little about it for our audience and emphasize how it shows there is different answers to the question of density and urban sprawl? Sure. Uh, the, the Imaginary Boundaries Studio is the name of our studio in Mendrisio Academia. Uh, it's a second year studio and our focus is on the social and geographical limits of Rio de Janeiro. And this is this semester, more specifically, about the coexistence with the forest, the Atlantic forest. Because uh, we choose uh, that uh, the context choosing is for students to begin to reflect on other issues that are not only the architectural typology within a historical social context, but also in a social environmental context. And Rio uh, has this uh, immense uh, green area that uh, has this boundary between the city and the forest. We are working exactly on, the, on, the, on this boundary. And, um, and I think this line that, that is, uh, this, this, this boundary is, uh, is in fact an imaginary boundary because there's no human interaction with this forest anymore. There was for years, now there's with water, and, and now there is a line that is a, a boundary that is, uh, exists in, uh, in our minds. But uh, uh, I think, uh, but also there is a, a case that we study in Santa Marta Rio, a favela slum in Rio, that has five, uh, that the municipality built 500 meters of a concrete wall to saying that they were uh, protecting the environment. And it was, of course, uh, a segregated solution that caused an undesirable reaction from the inhabitants, from the United Nations, from the writer Saramago that wrote at the time uh, about this, because it's a world that doesn't mean anything. So the studio was to work, we were supposed to work exactly on this, on this boundary of removing this wall and, and, and working in a typology that connects the, the forest with the city. And um, so the intention of the studio is to, to redesign the relation with this nature and, um, and transform this, this limit to a porose boundary. And for that, for the first time, I invited a geographer, a sociologist, a specialist on social housing as well. And uh, it is fantastic, it is really, really a fantastic thing to do is to, to have a studio multidisciplinary. And it is, in that's for sure fascinates everyone that is there. For me, the students, we are fascinated to, to hear a geographer. Because I think before uh, acting in a territory, we should work together with a geographer because, I mean, it's, it's, it's about transforming as the sentence of the indigenous to, to, to transform the ground, step gently on the ground. So what is this ground? Well, so it's a very a really nice experience. It's, yeah, happened there. Some of your conceptions, like the Humanidade Pavilion and the Mystery for All, have an ephemeral aspect to it. Although they have an urban scale, they're meant to be easily taken down and forgotten. Should we consider time and durability more often as a parameter when building architecture? What would the city look like if every building was designed with this in mind? First, uh, I want to, uh, to say that uh, some projects that never existed, as for example, the Fun Palace of Cedric Price, they, they never existed, but they are part of our memory. 
so they still exist. Uh, that is, this is really fantastic how important this was for, for, uh, uh, for the, the for history, no? and for our for our uh, reflections. And I think uh, if and when the Daji Pavilion will be forgotten one day, it's because it has no meaning. But I would I would like now, if, uh, since I'm talking about Cedric Price, to say that there's obviously an, a similar image of with with his uh, with uh, there is obviously a similar image uh, when you look at the projects. But I think Cedric Price at that moment, 1965, was inventing the image of the future, an image of the progress that culminates uh, a while later in the high tech. Uh, but uh, but I think uh, we in a different moment, 2012, the Manida Pavilion is a, an image of the present because it tries to respond to questions of our time. Uh, both are responding to questions of um, their specific time. That's the point. Uh, and those questions really related to sustainability, I think they are generating other kinds of projects, maybe another kind of beauty because uh, the one Dutch pavilion, we can say that it's sustainable because we, we profit the material 100% after the event, no? the, the, the scaffolding. So, uh, but, yeah, but yes, I think the, the, the design uh, comes from the, the observation of a place of its geography in the case of Copacabana of its events, because there's always an event with scaffolding there. So it's, uh, it was very easy to work with that. And yes, and I think that, yes, building, as you said, they, they die, you know, they are alive they, uh, unless you maintain uh, constantly. So this topic of being, being uh, temporary or not temporary is, is just uh, not something that you have to consider. I mean, as a, as a uh, I mean, it, it is a subject because we have to reflect that uh, everything is, is alive, but that I don't think this is a, uh, uh, something you have to consider if you're going to do something permanent, you know, it's not there. Yes, I think it's important to think about this, but if, if you are doing, in this case, something really temporary, as the case of Maladad Pavilion, I think if, uh, if uh, we are, uh, for example, this building, if it is, it, and it has to be temporary because if it's a permanent building, it's a horrible building. But as a temporary building, it's beautiful. But it, it affects too much the the. I mean, it, it, it's it's supposed to be. And I think it's it's a horrible building if it's permanent because it is affecting the landscape of Rio. It's it is supposed to to be temporary. So I think I think the design changes also when you when you think about this temporality. Would you like to talk a little about space dedicated to democracy in public space? I'm thinking about projects such as Mystery Forever, for example. Yeah, so after the Mandarin Pavilion, there was an, an idea to, to also uh, do a similar building in Brasilia, and that's where these this thoughts come. And uh, it didn't happen because the crisis began and nothing happened. But the, the mini, so the idea was in Brasilia in the uh, is to, was to propose the Ministry for All, that is an imaginary building between the structures of the ministries uh, with the same size, with the same distance between them and the same height. And 
it would be also made of scaffold. It will also be temporary and it would be next to the cathedral there. And uh, it would be a place for public discussions where one could follow the activities of all ministry and, uh, and follow without any kind of interface with media. So uh, among and among other actions that are part of democratic state. And I think it is uh, for now an utopian, utopian project, uh, but uh, at least in this political moment, but in another moment, it could be a moment to, monument to democracy. At first it's temporary. So because of that, it's, it's, it's different. And, and it is uh, in a way, it is also, if you want to see that way, it is um, uh, like a, a ready-made, you know, because it's the same size of a ministry, it doesn't affect the image of, of the design of Monsieur Costa Oscar and it is uh, as any ready-made of the ready-mades that you probably know from Duchamp, they, they don't want to have a design and a presence and this is in this case the part of these thoughts and a monument to democracy because it's active, it's not to look, it's to be inside with manifests and so it's an active building, it's not, it's not a, an icon. What would be your views on environment and ecology? What is your approach on the subjects and why? Uh, but I think uh, what is important is for architects is that they should be aware that the architectural design is not drawing or visual composition. It is uh, an action uh, over nature. It is a transformation of a geographical area of site. It's a drawing, a line is already that. It's not a composition, it's that. It's an action of them. So um, I think, it, I mean, of course we have to talk about this because we can uh, be misunderstood with our profession on, or we can, as an architect, uh, understand wrongly this. No? But it is, uh, if it, this is a construction, if it, if it transforms a landscape, a territory, it is an action. So, um, so it's about uh, being aware of this very early. How would you design something in a space that has no beauty to you? How would you work with that kind of environment? Or do you think that maybe somehow there's beauty everywhere? Isn't, isn't the, uh, I mean, yes, it's sometimes it's hard, but you have to, you can invent. You know? I think a fantastic example is the, the, this one of Gilles Clément that he found this place and, and, and then it was, it was kind of a very ugly place for, uh, where the train passes, it's uh, what's the name? It is, and then he decided to plant on the top of this mountain, but only for the plants, not for people. And I think it's uh, it, it's uh, I forgot the name of this of this project. And I think I mean he, he found a, a a really ugly situation there, and he transformed something absolutely fantastic. And uh, and. And he could, I mean, invent a garden for people, design this garden. He didn't do anything. He didn't just kept it as it is. It's a very strange image. No? It, it, it looks like a ruin sometimes, in a way, a ruin of, but it's, it's fantastic because the, he's, he's worried about this, this gardening movement that he talks about and this, this, this covered 
uh, I mean, the, he's worried about the how the seeds traverse at one side to the other. I mean, this is another. I mean, this is this is the beauty yeah, that he. And then I think that's the point to find something that uh, uh, makes sense in each place. And the, this image of beauty is another is another one. This is a very good example because it's a very strange image. You know this the surroundings and this cover. Of course, at the end, it's beautiful because it's it's full of green. But uh, I mean, I, I really think how how his thoughts could affect us as an architect, not landscape designer. No? Because how does it it is something that I've been really reading and thinking about because it's, of course, for the landscape designers, there's all this thought of this this thought of the of the planetary garden and it's really beautiful. But how do we interact with this without? So it's the coexistence you know, that I was talking about. Yes, I think yes. There's uh, but the problem is that we 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 keep looking for this beautiful image everywhere. To um, and then sometimes the image is not that beautiful, but it it's a, an interesting solution for for public areas or as he did you know, for. So this is a very good example, I think. Well, thank you for your time and answers. Thank you so much, Lisa. <laughs>